0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 25th, 2021. And I'm a-running, getting out of breath here. So, Terry and I are tag team in here. We're taking care of the, the grandson again. So, Terry's running around with the baby, and I get to sit down and do a little Bible study. Welcome. Thank you all those who join us. Thank you for Stations of the Cross Radio for picking up our signal, and all the other stations that pick up our signal. We really appreciate that. And, uh... We want to thank all of our listeners and all of our supporters, all of those who support us financially, and also all of those who support us with your prayers and sacrifices. We can't do God's work without supporting one another. Um, Just an aside, I grew up in the Legion of Mary, and in the Legion of Mary we were taught that for every one active member, you needed 10 auxiliaries behind you praying. So 10 people who weren't actively involved in the apostolic work, praying for every one person who was actively involved. And there was something called the Catholic Evidence Guild that was founded in England and it was street corner preachers. It was lay people who went out and literally stood on a soapbox and, and preached. And they would, you know, teach the faith and defend the Catholic faith. And Frank Sheed was part of the Catholic Evidence Guild and I met him when I was in college and and Frank said that it was required that for every hour you spent preaching you had to spend one hour in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. If you didn't do that, you weren't allowed to preach. And that while you were preaching, someone else was in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament praying for you. So we see, you see, we understand if we're going to spread the kingdom of God, if we're going to spread his kingdom, we need to be connected to him. So I want to thank all of those who pray for us, because for every one of us here that spent an hour in front of this microphone and this, this uh, video camera, we need people praying for us, at least 10 people praying for each one of us. Um, for every hour that we're here, so thank you so much for your prayers and sacrifice, and thank you also for your financial support. So it is Friday, and it's the I believe it's the 12th week in ordinary time, and and this um, lovely Bible study teacher here, she she left her uh, I left my missile at home, but I do remember that the gospel today is Jesus cleansing the leper, and it's Matthew 8 chapter chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. Okay, so we'll read that, and then we'll I'll give you a little commentary on that. Okay. We're going to talk about Jesus cleanses the leper. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt down before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, "See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourselves to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to the people, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well come, O Holy Spirit, and enlighten our minds and hearts and help us to understand what you're saying here. Beautiful, beautiful passage. This is Matthew 8. So this is just after the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus comes down from the mountain. What mountain? The Sermon on the Mount, where he has just been teaching the people at length. At length, he teaches them. And as one priest pointed out, he says it's, it's, he taught him at great length. Well, if you sit down and read the Sermon on the Mount, it's chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew, eh, you know, maybe 40 minutes. Uh, you know, or, or, So it's like, how much wasn't there? And again, at the end of the Gospel of John, it said, if everything that Jesus had said and did was written down, I believe the whole world could not contain the books that it would hold. So there's, you know, we're given we're given highlights, highlights in a sufficient amount. But we need to pray and ask the Lord to enlighten us to the deeper meaning of everything he did. So the leper, he comes down from the mountain. He's been teaching the people the Sermon on the Mount. And the crowds followed him. Great crowds followed him. They know he can work miracles. They see in his teaching an authority that they've never come against. None of, their, none of the scribes and Pharisees teach with the authority with which Jesus teaches. And part of it is he fully lives everything he teaches. He, he, he lives it first, and then, and then he, it comes out in his teaching. But they can see it. There's no hypocrisy in him. There's no duplicity. He doesn't put people down. He doesn't degrade, you know, the crowds, like, you know, the, the, the members of the Sanhedrin will say, Oh, what do these people know? They don't know anything in the Gospel of John. You know, what do they know? They don't know anything. They're just they're just the people who are all and they're all damned anyway. And it's like, what? Whoa. No, Jesus didn't say that. He came to free us and to, to bring us salvation. Yeah, we we would have all been damned if if God hadn't chosen to redeem us because when Adam sinned we lost friendship with God and we lost his grace but God said no I have another I'm, I'm not going to let you I'm not going to lose you that easy I will, I will send my son I will send my son so this leper comes to him and kneels down the leper comes to him well what's interesting what do we know about leprosy At that time, people didn't fully understand leprosy, and God had set down some rules. If a person was actually discovered to have leprosy, they were to be cast out of the community. They had to live apart. They couldn't participate in any of the social or um, religious life, of the, the, the worship life of the temple. They couldn't participate in the social life of the community. They had to wear ragged clothes, and they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so people could avoid them. Because leprosy was, it's a very, and it still is, it hasn't changed. I mean, leprosy is leprosy. It, it attacks the nerve system. It kills the nerves. And so if you get a cut on your hand, your body won't recognize because you're, you're, it can't feel it. So it won't send what it needs. It won't send the, the the blood cells there to heal, to cause healing to take place. And so the the your flesh begins to rot away. You lose feeling and you can't feel anything. And if you get a wound, it just gets infected and it festers and it gets ugly and it's it's a very pain. it's it's funny it's it's a physically painless way to die but emotionally it's horribly painful because it's it's you see yourself rotting away and even though you can't feel the pain of it you feel the pain emotionally and so you know nowadays of course they have sulfa drugs they can stop the progress of leprosy so if a person is uh it's realized they have leprosy it can be stopped in its tracks. You don't. You don't have to watch the person rot away, but in those days they didn't have that. So the person was supposed to live outside the camp. So this man wasn't even supposed to approach Jesus, but he's heard about Jesus and he has faith that Jesus can do this. And he kneels down before him. He does him homage. It says, "I'm reading here. You hear from the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible." In the um translation they read at Mass, it says he knelt down and did him homage. So he humbles himself before the Lord and he acknowledges Jesus is more than just a man. He does him homage. And he, he realizes Jesus has something he can give to him, but he's begging for it. He's not telling him, he's not demanding. He said, if you will to do so, you can heal me. And, you know, if you will it, if this is your desire, you can you can do this, Lord and Jesus simply he and again Jesus stretches out his hands and he touches the leper. You know what it meant if you touched a leper in those days? You were ritually unclean. You were supposed to go outside the camp. You were supposed to act as if you had leprosy. You weren't supposed to touch a leper. And Jesus touches him. He touches him. And he says, "I will be clean." And immediately, the man is cleansed of his leprosy. But Jesus tells him, he says, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to the people. What does leprosy represent? It represents sin. And so I want to point out a couple things about this passage. Jesus touches him and he heals him. Done story, right? Okay, the guy's free to go. But Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Well, wait a minute, Lord. How can he not tell anyone? Everybody in his family knows he has leprosy. And now he's cured and he's going to go home. And what is he not supposed to say? Don't tell anything. And again, the messianic secret. Jesus says this because the people are expecting a political messiah. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to free us from the power of sin and the consequences of sin, which is eternal death in hell separation from God for all eternity. We were made for greatness. We're made for union with God. And so Jesus comes to restore that. The reason for our existence, union with God. And so he says, but go and show yourself to the priest. And it's interesting, because when I was in college, a Jesuit priest pointed out something very beautiful about this. As a matter of fact, Father Fessio, go and show yourself to the priest. Well, Jesus had already cured him. What does he need to go tell, show the priest for? When we sin, There is no sin that's a private sin. It affects the whole community. No matter how private you think it is, even your inmost thoughts, you know, that grudge that you harbor against someone, or that revenge that you're planning that nobody knows about, or that self pity that you're wallowing in, God sees it all and it hurts the whole body of Christ. And so Jesus tells the man, go and show yourself to the priest. And when Jesus founded his church, he gave a sacrament, a sacrament whereby people would tell God they were sorry for their sins, but then they would go and show themselves to the priest and offer what the priest prescribed for their healing. In thanksgiving to God for what he had done for them, God forgives us our sins, the sacrament of confession. I hear the music. The clock is ticking down. Oh, no, we have time. We have time. So we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about this passage. And I want to talk about a little bit about the first reading. And I want to talk about waiting for God. Are we waiting patiently for the Lord? And do we trust Him? Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Don't go away. Don't change that channel. I'll be right back.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888 Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome back. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 25th. Um, and uh, it's the 12th week in Ordinary Time. And we're reading from Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4 in the Cure of the Leper. And we've already pointed out that, um, for one, the leper approaches Jesus. And that's, you know, the lepers in those days had to live apart. But this leper has heard about Jesus and he comes and he asks, he begs, he's humble, he acknowledges, he, he um, does Jesus' homage and then he begs and Jesus grants him what he asked for. He grants him the cure of his leprosy. but then he tells him to go and show himself to the priest. So it's, you know, it's not just enough for us to go to prayer and tell the Lord, and because leprosy represents sin. That's what, you know, it, it, yes, this was a real historical fact. This man was really a leper. And no, it wasn't because of his sins that he was a leper in the sense that his personal sin. Yes, his leprosy, yeah, a result of sin, the original sin, right. When God created man, there was no sin, I mean, there was no death, and there was no disease because there was no sin. And so he created Adam and Eve in the state of grace. And the deal is Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, death entered the world. And we know that from the book of Romans. Through one man, death entered the world. And through one man, life entered the world, Christ, Christ Jesus, who redeems us from the sin. And so, but God didn't take away the effects of sin. When Jesus comes, he doesn't take away the effects of sin. So he doesn't come to remove all disease. Now he cures disease as a sign, but as a sign that he came to remove sin. It is sin that degrades us because we're made in the image and likeness of God. We are made by God. We were made for God. We're made for union with God. And sin degrades the human person. It disfigures. Venial sin disfigures the image of God in us. Mortal sin destroys it. It puts to death the life of God in our soul. It deprives us of sanctifying grace. So we want to repent of every sin that we commit and especially mortal sin, we want to repent of it immediately and immediately go to confession. It's one of the reasons the church encourages devotional confession. Is If you go to confession on a regular basis with your little sins, then if you have the misfortune of committing a mortal sin, you're going to know you're going to want to go to confession immediately. You see, sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. So even if my sin is venial, Venial sins still darken the intellect and weaken the will, and the more we commit them, the easier it will be to fall into mortal sin. So we want to repent of the venial sins. We want to repent of the little things. You know, it's like that. If you get a scratch on your hand and you don't take care of it, it can get infected and fester. And I know a, you know, a tragic story. One of my, my own grandfathers, my mother's, mother, my mother's father, he, at 90 years of age up in Minnesota, was walking the trapline in the wintertime. He was in still very good shape. He could still ride his bicycle four miles to town. He could walk the trap line, and he fell, and he, um, I believe, he broke his leg, and um, he was laying out there for days because he couldn't get home, and so my my uncle, my mother's brother, went to find him, but he had a wound, also from the fall, and he didn't take care of it, and unfortunately, he got gangrene. He got gangrene in that leg, and again, he just he let it go, and he ended up going to the hospital, but he was, the gangrene had spread, they had to take the leg off at the hip. To save his life. Well, he lived about I think two or three years past that, Um, because once he couldn't exercise the way he had always exercised, you know the body doesn't it doesn't keep going it shuts down. But of course he'd lived a long life, he lived a beautiful life. But again, little things like sins, you know, the cut wasn't wasn't you know it wasn't deadly. It was just a cut, but it needed to be taken care of, it needed to be tended to. And he said, I didn't tend to it. And that's what he told my, my mother. He said, well, you know, he, he didn't blame anybody. He didn't complain about the gangrene. He he was considering other people. Um, he kept, but people kept telling him, your, your, your daughters are coming, your daughters are coming. My Aunt Margaret was a retired nurse, and she paid, we didn't have the money, she paid for my mother to fly back to Minnesota with her to take care of um, their father in the hospital. And somebody, Uncle Bob, um, my mom's brother, kept saying, they, they're coming, they're coming, the girls are coming, the girls are coming. And it had taken so long, in his mind, it had taken so long. The first thing he said to my mother, or he said to Uncle Bob, when when my mom and, and my Aunt Margaret walked in the room was, get some dinner for the boys, they must be hungry. Because he figured the boys, my, my mom and dad's sons, had driven Aunt Margaret and Uncle Bob uh, and my mother out to Minnesota. <laughs> he didn't realize they'd flown. But right, here he is, here he is, this man... It, my mother said he was skeletal thin. He was bruised all over his body. He had fallen out of bed numerous times. And here, the first thought was, take care of the boys. Make sure they get something to eat. Because he figured the boys must have brought them by car. And it's, oh, you know, my, my grandfather was just, a, a, he was a devout man. He prayed. He went to Mass on Sunday. And he, he was a good man who loved the Lord. And he's, he, so he had consideration for his neighbor. So the point of it being that Jesus didn't come to remove the sin. I mean, excuse me, Jesus came to remove sin. Yes, sorry, bad misspoke. He came to remove the sin, but he didn't come to remove the effects of sin. That is, he didn't take away death, and he didn't take away disease. So death and disease, and especially leprosy by the fathers of the church, was seen as a sign of sin. So when Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the leper, Jesus touches the sinner. Remember, no sin we ever commit will make God turn his back on us. Sin is our turning away from God. So we want to beg him for the grace that we will turn back to him. He's always reaching out to us. He always wants to cure us. He always wants to bring us back and bring us back into union with himself because he made us for himself. He made us for union with himself. Go back to the beginning. And Adam and Eve walked with the Lord in the garden, in the cool of the day. They conversed familiarly with the Lord, and that's how we are supposed to pray. He is our Father who loves us, and we're supposed to trust him. And again, like the leper, trust him boldly. Have confidence in him, but always humbly. Lord, if it is your will, you can cure me. And, and again, Jesus didn't come to take away all the disease, and he didn't come to take away death. He came to take away sin. So the disease can be offered up, the the sufferings, all the sufferings of life can be offered up in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. All of our sufferings. St. Paul says, I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. So all of our suffering, our sufferings have meaning. Our suffering isn't meaningless. By the way, that's why we don't euthanize people. Animals we put out of their misery. Animals can't offer their sufferings. Animals are not people. They can't offer their sufferings to God. They don't have an intellect. They don't have the ability to reason and to reflect. And they don't have a will with which to love. They have an animal will, yeah, a will they want to exist, a will to exist and to to survive. But they can't love the way human beings can love because God made us in his own image and God is love. So we need to offer our sufferings, and anyone who's suffering, your sufferings can be the cause of salvation for yourself and those around you. Hundreds and hundreds of people can be saved if we just offer our sufferings, our daily offering, you know, O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Faithful and Compassionate Heart of St. Joseph, I offer you all my prayers, works, joys, sorrows, and sufferings of this day in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, united to the sufferings of Christ, his Paschal Mystery, for the intentions of the Sacred Heart, salvation of souls, the reparation for sin, the reunion of all Christians, for our bishops, the members of the Apostleship of Prayer, and in particular for our Holy Father, so that everything we do, everything we think, do, and say, everything we omit to do, is offered to God as a sacrifice, in reparation for sin, for the conversion of sinners, for the reunion of all Christians, that God might be glorified, that his kingdom would come and his will be done. The Our Father, the basic prayer. So the Lord has cleansed the leper and then he tells him to go and show himself to the priest. And this is what we do in confession. We acknowledge in private, when we examine our conscience daily, that we have sinned against God. And then we make our act of contrition But we try at least once a month to go to confession, even if we haven't committed a mortal sin. We have to go to confession if we commit a mortal sin. In order to have a mortal sin forgiven, you have to have either perfect contrition or imperfect contrition, that is, I'm sorry because I fear the punishment that will be mine if I don't repent, coupled with the sacrament of confession. An act of perfect contrition would be a great uh, grace from God because that means I'm sorry solely for the reason that what i did offended god but we should meditate upon that sin does offend god god never wills anyone to sin god did not create sin he didn't even create death by the way god what god made was good and he made life and love so if we sin we go we to go to god in prayer absolutely but then we go to confession Jesus is the one who established the sacrament of confession. Jesus is the one who told his priests in John 20, as he breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. So the leprosy represents sin, and Jesus comes to cleanse us from sin because sin separates us from God. Jesus came to remove the one obstacle that keeps us from God, and that is sin, death, death doesn't keep us from God. Sickness doesn't keep us from God. You know, trials, tribulations. As a matter of fact, all of those things become a means for God to expand our hearts to receive more of him. If we will only offer them to him, say, Lord, this is a hard trial. And if it's your will, you could take this trial away. But Lord, you're trying to expand my heart to receive more of you. So open my heart so that I can receive all of you. That you want to give. Yet God gives himself to us. That's what sanctifying grace is. His own life. God shares his life with us. He wants us to participate in his own inner Trinitarian life. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit draw us into union with themselves. And of course that's why Jesus established his church and the seven sacraments. To carry on the work that he had begun. And the Holy Spirit is the one who completes that work and carries it on through the church. So the church is only, the Catholic Church is only doing what Jesus commanded. The sacraments, baptism, confirmation, Holy Eucharist, confession, the priesthood, not matrimony, and the anointing of the sick. Jesus established those sacraments as seven means of grace. And of course, the central sacrament is the Eucharist, because it's God Himself present in our midst still today, the God man, Jesus Christ. At the Last Supper, when he took bread and wine, he said over the bread, this is my body. And over the chalice of wine, he said, this is the cup of my blood, the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant in the Gospel of Luke. And so the Lord gives himself to us in the Eucharist. It is he himself. That's why we adore the Eucharist. It's not Jesus present in the bread and the wine. He's not. There's no more bread and wine. He's not present in it. He's present under the appearance of bread and wine in the Holy Eucharist. And he came to free us from our sins. Come to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness of your sins. We beg him humbly like the leper, Lord, if you will to do so, you can make me clean. Most of all, you can free me from all sin and attachment to sin. But you can also cure my physical ailment if it's your will. But if it's not, Lord, I'm willing to offer this in union with your sacrifice for the salvation of the world. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. We'll be back with more. Don't go away. and Don't turn that dial.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June 25th. Again, I want to thank all of our listeners. I want to thank all those who support us. Um, and um, if you're looking for conferences, we have a conference coming up in August on um, the, the meaning of human sexuality with Dr. Um, Sandoval. I will also be giving a talk on the theology of the body, and I believe there's one other speaker. And uh, you can go to the virginmostpowerfulradio.org website, and that should be posted up there. So we've been talking about the first reading from the Gospel of Matthew for today, Friday, the 12th week in Ordinary Time, and it's the beginning of chapter 8, and it's, the, it's a cure of a leper. And we talked about how leprosy represents um, sin, and Jesus comes to free us from sin. He cures the leper, but then he tells the leper to go and show himself to the priests. And, and it's beautiful because Jesus has no problem touching the leper, and he has no problem with the fact that a leper approached him. He has no fear. And so we want to talk today about waiting on God. And I, it's interesting, this week, the, the first reading this week has been from the book of Genesis, and it's the story of the beginning of the story of Abraham, where God calls Abraham, and he makes a covenant with Abraham, and he promises to send Abraham a son. Now, when God called Abraham, he was 75 years old, and by the time Abraham is 86, he has no children and so Abraham and Sarah are getting a little impatient, and they're thinking, well, you know, um, maybe we need to help God along on this. And so Sarah gives Abraham, her maidservant, Hagar, the Egyptian, to him as a concubine, and she bears a son to Abraham. And, of course, once she finds out she's pregnant, then she starts treating Sarah with contempt because she figures, I'm, I'm one up on her. She couldn't give him any children, but I have. And so... Um, you know, the story of Ishmael, and, and so Sarah beats Hagar, and she very, well, she abuses her, whatever, in whatever form she abuses her, Hagar runs away, and God tells Hagar to go back, and um, Sarah, you know, it, later on, God comes to, to Abraham, and he tells him, I will give you a son, and your wife, Sarah, will, as a matter of fact, he changes, it, his, Abraham's name was Abram, and he changes it because he will be the father of many nations. And Sarai's name, her, her name was Sarai, and he said, I will change it to Sarah because she will become the mother of many. And, and Abraham's laughing. Now, now, Ishmael's been born. He was born when Abraham was 86. Now Abraham's 99, and his wife Sarah is 90. And he's laughing because he's thinking a 90-year-old woman can bear a child. Right And, of course, he prostrated himself before the Lord. Why? Because he's going to hide his laughter from him. Abraham and Sarah didn't wait on the Lord for his timing. But the Lord is faithful to his promise. So when Abraham is 99 years old, his wife Sarah, who is 90, does conceive a son. And she bears him a son, and the son's name is Isaac. Isaac means laughter and for one, Abraham had laughed when the Lord told him that at 99 years old, you're actually, Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. But by this time, you know Abraham was like, well, Ishmael's already, can't he just be my heir? And no, no, God promised him a son and Ishmael was not the son of the promise. He promised a son through Abraham's legitimate wife, Sarah. God does not want people to commit adultery and fornication. He made marriage to be between one man and one woman and for life. But the point here is, do we wait on the Lord for his promise? Or do we get impatient and decide, well, God needs a little help. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get in there and kind of help him a little. In our lives, in our spiritual lives, sometimes we get impatient with God. In our current situation in the world, we're thinking, we have to be activists. We got to get out there. We have to change the world. Well, have we repented of our sins? Have we turned back to God? Have we done penance? Have we begged the Lord to have mercy on us? At Fatima, and now I know, I'm a Bible study. I'm a Bible scholar, and I'm also a a theologian. Public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle. There is no new public revelation. All of the revelation that God revealed, that's revelation from God, ended with the death of the last apostle. And throughout the years, the church is supposed to come to a deeper and deeper understanding of how that revelation is to apply to our life today. And what does it mean for us today? And how are we to live in the world that we were born into? And in the world we're in right now, we live in a post-pagan world. How do you say it? It's a post-modern paganism or something. It's not the paganism of the old world we have a new world that's very highly technologicized. We have a lot of technology, we depend on our technology. We don't think we need God anymore, because man has all the answers. So we have a new kind of paganism coming up, and we have a new God that we're worshiping. instead of inventing gods who you know, are up there in the sky like the Greeks and the Romans, and you know, man, man is his own God. We think and we're not. Are we waiting for the Lord for his time? Or Are we getting impatient and saying, "You know what? I have to be the activist. I have to get out there. I have to change the world. Or is you know did our blessed mother and, and Mary's a beautiful example of this, how long did the Israelites wait for the Messiah? Okay, from the time that Adam and Eve sinned, God promised a Messiah and you have thousands of years that pass in the Old Testament that tell that the, the history of mankind and man, you know God promising him things and saying, wait. I will keep my promise. And man falling down and saying, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to go ahead and make things. I'm going to cause things to happen the way they should be or the way I think they should be. And over and over again, people make mistakes. They don't wait on God's time. And what is the result of that? Is it, is it a better world? Well, it's interesting because Ishmael is the father of the Arabs and in the Middle East, it's, it's like one big family feud, you know. And what's interesting, it started before them because really, you know, Cain killed Abel. So once sin enters into the world, then you get this, this division among men. And it divides families. It divides a man from himself, his own self. Sin divides us from ourself. When we sin, we're not being faithful to who we are. We're made in God's image. We're supposed to image God. And we're supposed to live as his children. So Abraham was impatient. He didn't wait. And all, and all of a sudden, you know, now you've got this other child, Ishmael, who's, who's Abraham's son, but he's not the son of the promise. And he's not the son through whom the Messiah will come. Isaac is the one who is the son through whom the Messiah will come. But Ishmael will be the father of a great nation. He will father many nations, the Arabs. And, and they have circumcision too, because Ishmael was still there living with Abraham and Sarah Um, when God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. So Ishmael was circumcised. And God protects Ishmael because Ishmael is Abraham's son. But he wasn't the son that God had promised. We need to wait for the Lord's time. And that means praying and being attentive to the duties of our state in life and not looking for extraordinary signs You know, I find this often in our world today. People are running after private revelation because the gospel hasn't been preached. All the mysticism we need is in the gospel. All the mysticism we need is in the Holy Scriptures, in God's revealed word to us. Union with God, that is the mysticism to which we are called. We are called to live in union with God. And this is what does Paul say in one of his letters? It is I who live now, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And this is it. As Christians, we want Christ to live in us. And when we don't allow that to happen, when we try and insist on doing things our own way, we actually get in the way of God's work and we muddy the waters a bit. And sometimes um, the consequences of our actions can be far reaching. The consequences of Abraham's action of deciding with Sarah that, you know, that he would take Hagar as his concubine and have a child through her has been far-reaching. Now that, That's not to say that there can't be peace in the Middle East. There can be. There can be peace wherever everyone decides that we were made by God, we were made for God, and we are all brothers and sisters because God is the father of us all. He's the father of all men, of all time, of all nations. And we have to work together for the building of his kingdom, for the praise of the glory of his name and to to do his will. But when we're impatient, we need to be repentant. When we don't live up to it, when we don't keep God's commandments, when we break the commandments, we need to repent. You know, somebody once said, oh, you don't have to tell God you're sorry for your sins. You don't. I think you're wrong. We do. When you offend someone you love, do you have to tell them you're sorry? What was it? There was a a silly movie. God had mercy on him. I think it was called Love Story. When I was in high school, and some people thought, "Oh, this is such a great movie," you know. And one of the lines from it was, "Love is never having to say you're sorry." Well, yeah, God never had to say he was sorry to mankind because God loves, and He is love. So if we really loved like God was, yeah, we'd never have to say we're sorry. But you know what the reality is? We're human and we make mistakes and we do have to say we're sorry. You know, sometimes I want to do something for somebody and I do it. And instead of them saying, thank you, they're insulted. Well, I didn't mean to insult you. I was trying to help. I'm sorry it offended you, but that wasn't my purpose. My purpose was to help, you know, or I did something too quickly and I broke something. How dare you do that? Why did you do that? You just did that to hurt me and insult me. No, honey, I didn't. I did it because I'm human and I make a mistake. Human beings make mistakes. To err is human. Yes, to err is human, by the way. I remember I said that to someone in college one time, and they said, no, to err is fallen human. And I didn't know what to say back, and I was like, "Well, oh, that's interesting. But then I thought about it, and I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When Adam and Eve decided, God made them in the state of grace. So when the serpent tempted them to eat the fruit that God had forbidden, It was their error in judgment, their lack of trust in God, letting the trust in God die in their heart, and they made an error in judgment that took them out of the state of grace. So to error is human. We're not God. There was never a perfect man who couldn't make a mistake or couldn't sin that was fully man other than Jesus Christ because he was the God man. He couldn't sin. He could not sin. And our blessed mother's love for god was so strong the church teaches us that she couldn't sin because she had no other love god was her love there's that music again this just goes too fast so we want to talk a little bit more about waiting for god and what does that mean don't go away
0: now back to bible with the barbers if you have a question or comment Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 25th. And we're coming to the end of this hour. I can't believe the hour is up. When I do my Bible study on Tuesday night from seven to nine at the chapel, um, I can just talk for two hours. <laughs> I don't have to stay on the clock. No advertisements, so we're all good. But that's anyone's. anyone who's local is welcome to come. Anybody who's visiting from out of town, you're welcome to come. We're going to try and continue our Bible study through July this year and take a break during August and then start up again in September. Um, I do want to mention so that the secretary, our secretary for the CRC, just brought me this, the resistance. Um, one of the things we can do now in terms of... Um, doing penance is to rally for the faith, okay? We want to rally for the faith. We need to support our persecuted priests. We know that there are good priests who um, are being suspended and having their priesthood taken away because they're trying to preach the truth. And they're just trying to preach the truth in in love. And, you know, we can all be imprudent. Just like I said, we're human, we make mistakes, okay? But we need to pray. We need to pray that good priests do not have their priesthood taken away. And so tomorrow at a Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels... Um, And it's going to be on the southwest corner of Grand and Temple. The address for the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels is 555 West Temple Street, Los Angeles. It's at 945 a.m., June 26th. So that's tomorrow, June 26th, Saturday. There's going to be a prayer rally. Okay, they're going to pray. And we're praying. They're praying for priests. We're praying for our priests to be, and we're praying for our bishops to support the priests in terms of if someone complains about a priest because a priest is being faithful to the Catholic Church teaching, because he's teaching the catechism, because he's teaching the truth, the bishop will support him because he's allowing his people to live the faith, encouraging them to live the faith, and encouraging them to sanctity. By the way, sanctity is not the option of the few, to quote Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta. It is the simple duty of us all. We are all called to be saints. We're made to live in union with God. And that's all it means. Being a saint is living in union with God. So again, tomorrow, Saturday, June 26, 945 a.m., we are going to rally for the faith. We're going to support our persecuted priests and st- who are standing for the truth. And it's on the southwest corner of Grandin Temple um, by the Music Center. And look for the CM flag, Church Militant. There's a Church Militant flag. That's there um, on the top part here. See if I can get this right here. This one here. This is their logo. All right. And it says, if you have any questions, you can call Stephen 213-503-7322. Stephen 213-503-7322. So we're talking about waiting for the Lord and trusting in him so that God can do his work in and through us. And I mentioned Our Lady of Fatima, and she asked us to pray the rosary daily for world peace. Now, the, the rosary is a very biblical prayer, and there are many Protestants who pray the rosary. And the reality is, is what the rosary is, is a meditation on the mysteries of redemption that God has wrought. Okay, all the good that God has done to redeem us. That's what we're doing. And the prayers from the, the, for the rosary are from the scriptures The Hail Mary, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Holy Mary, Mother of God, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Um, and, And yes, we can ask others to pray for us, and we ask Mary to pray for us. And then, of course, the Our Father, Jesus taught, The glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. We find that in scriptures. We give glory to God, the most holy trinity. And um, the the, the, um, other prayers of the rosary, even the hail holy queen, Mary is shown as the queen of heaven in the book of Revelation. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. Beautiful Mary, beautiful Mary. And we're not worshiping our lady. We're venerating her, we're honoring her, even as Jesus did. Jesus kept the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And so we pray for world peace. We sacrifice. At Fatima, our lady, she was telling us some things we'd forgotten. Pray and sacrifice. You can't live in this world as if you have a finality in this world. You have to give up the things of this world in order to get to heaven. In the book of Revelation, it says nothing imperfect or impure will enter into heaven. Nothing imperfect or impure. Nothing that has any attachment to anything of this world. We have to give up our attachments to the things of this world. And the hardest attachment, I think, to give up is our attachment to ourself. My own self, my own ideas, my own preconceived notions, my own judgments of how things are. You know, I, and oftentimes in life, people will do things for us and we take it as an insult. They're just trying to be helpful. They're human. And they're thinking, gosh, you know, if, if, if I was in your situation, I'd like someone to come in and do my dishes or do the laundry or fold my clothes for me. And so we go do that for somebody and gosh, oh golly gee, they get mad at us. And maybe they won't say it to our face, but they'll say it to someone else behind our back. It's okay. You know what? I, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to insult you. I just want to help. I want to help in whatever way I can. I see you have a need, and I want to fulfill that need. You know, and, and sometimes people don't want to be helped. So back off and pray and ask the Lord to send someone that they'll allow to help them if they really need help. And sometimes we have to do that. And that's we need to pray and discern. But in order to be open to being able to receive the light of the Holy Ghost, we have to give up our sins. And we have to give up our attachment to the world. And one of the biggest things in our you know, 20th, 21st century world is the technology and the comfort and the ease with which we live in the Western world. Now that's not all over the world. And by the way, the Western world doesn't represent a major portion of the population of the world. A major portion of the population of the world live in what we call third world circumstances. And some of them even have technology in third world circumstances. But they don't have running water hot and cold. They don't have heaters and electric, you know, central air conditioners and central heaters in their homes. They don't even know if they're going to have food to eat. And, and it's interesting, I, you know, you have this mentality in the 20th century that the children are the problem, so let's do away with the children. Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, God have mercy on them. We pray that God have mercy on sinners, that He converts sinners, and me first in line. You know, convert me first, Lord. I mean, convert me, please, Lord. Well, whenever, in your good time, right? I'm talking about waiting on God's time. Okay, Lord, we're working on it every day, but we have to turn to the Lord every day. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, but thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We praise you, Lord. We bless you. We worship you. We glorify you. We get thanks to your holy name, praise and adoration, honor and thanksgiving, power and glory and might to our God and to the Lamb. Was it in the book of Daniel, it says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and mysterious things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my father, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and strength and you have made, now made known to me what was at what we ask of you. For you have made known us the king's matter. And this was in Daniel 2, where the king asks Daniel to interpret his dream. Okay? We rely on God. We depend on God. So we need to live the way God has asked us to live. We need to be concerned for the poor. If God has given us more than we need of this world's goods, he hasn't given it to us so that we can put it in storage or squander it. He's put, given it to us so that we can share with the poor. He said, the poor you will always have with you. So we are supposed to take care of the poor from our means. And, and you know we don't have to impoverish ourselves by our giving, but we need to give generously because the Lord has been generous with us. We need to repent of our sins, and we need to stop looking to place blame. You know We don't need to blame others for our trials and our tribulations. Trials and tribulations are part of life. We don't live in a perfect world we can renounce our perfect paradise even the situation in the church and and sometimes when we you know we find priests and bishops who don't teach the catholic faith to the fullness of the truth and they they water it down or they compromise the faith and say well it's okay we live in a pluralistic society god understands god understands we live in a pluralistic society jesus lived in a pluralistic society didn't he he lived under roman domination and he never condemned the Romans. He simply preached the gospel. But he didn't water down the gospel for the sake of the Romans. Not at all. Remember John the Baptist, the precursor of Christ? He told Herod, you didn't have a right to live with your, your brother's wife. He lost his head over it. But that was his martyrdom. His martyrdom which makes him a great saint. His witness to Christ. He wouldn't compromise. God said in the beginning, one man and one woman for life. Herod didn't have a right to marry his brother's wife. So we go to the Lord. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our fathers, and worthy of praise. And your name is glorified forever. For you are just in all you have done to us. And all of your works are true, and your ways are right. And all of your judgments are truth. You have executed true judgment in all that you have brought upon us and upon Jerusalem, the holy city of our fathers. For in truth and justice, you have brought all this upon us because of our sins. I'm reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And this is the prayer of Azariah in the furnace. They've been cast into the furnace. Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael have been cast into the furnace by the king because they won't worship his statue, they won't worship anyone but God. But they acknowledge, now these men have been faithful to the Lord. They haven't broken his law, and yet they identify themselves with their nation. They identify themselves with the sins of their people, that we will make penance for them. And we're not going to tell God he's he's nasty and he's bad and he's, uh, he's just a big org and he's just a mean guy, because we're suffering. No, we sinned. We deserve to suffer because we sinned. Let us beg God for the grace to humble ourselves before the Lord and accept the punishments of the Lord. The Lord chastises us, but his chastisement is for our correction. It's to purify us and make us holy, to bring us into union with himself. God desires that we live in union with him. If we will only surrender to the Lord, he will take care of all of our needs. He will provide for us and he will Defeat our enemies. But the first enemy that needs to be defeated is my own rebellious self when I rebel against God. I'm an enemy to myself when I sin. And I'm an enemy to the whole church when I sin. We need to repent of our sins and we need to ask God for mercy. We have sinfully and lawlessly departed from you and have sinned in all things and have not obeyed your commands. We have not observed them or done them. As you have commanded us that it might go well with us. So, all that you have brought upon us and all that you have done to us, you have done in true judgment. This is the attitude we need to have. Wait on the Lord's time. God has a plan. He has a plan for the triumph of the church, for the freedom and exaltation of Holy Mother Church here on earth and especially in heaven. But let us pray for the grace to be faithful unto the end, the grace of final perseverance. Lord, if I'm not in the state of grace, put me in the state of grace. If I'm in the state of grace, please keep me in the state of grace and please grant me the grace of final perseverance so I can see the glory that you have prepared for us from all eternity to be with you, to live in and through you for all eternity and to praise the glory of your name in heaven with all the angels and saints. For this is our calling in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I hope to see you again next week, same time, same station. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for all of your support. May God richly reward you and your family.